This is the Christian Heritage London podcast from London. Well, it's a great privilege for me to be sitting here with my friend Chris Larson in London. How are you, Chris? It's good to be here, Ben. I'm so encouraged by the work that you're doing. And uh, we had a beautiful day walking around the city and uh, you showing us some of the the treasures today. Yeah. You you know your way around in London a bit, don't you? We've been here um, various times uh, with Ligonier and doing some different tours, church history tours. So the things that you love to celebrate are the same things that we love to point out Mm. and uh, celebrate really the great work of the Lord Mm. through his church, through the generations. Yeah. It's a treat for us being here that all over the world, when people are looking for heroes from church history... Well, they happen to have done their things <laughs> in our town. So it's, a, it's just ready for us to tell the stories. It is. And uh, as you've noted in other places, that when you begin to tell the stories of these men and women through the generations, it's, it's an easy step to be able to explain the importance and the authority of the Word of God, mm. as well as, of yes. course, um, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, yes, it's right. And in, in that sense... You don't have to work it in. It's just sitting on the surface. It really is. There's nothing forced about it. So whether you're going back to Wycliffe uh, or picking up the story at Tyndale um, or certainly picking up some of the the early uh, Marian martyrs Mm. um, with Cranmer. Uh, Latimer, Ridley, mm. um, of course, you know, being able to go up to Oxford and see that place. It's, it's really hallowed ground. Mm. Um, and you get a sense that these are heroes, but they weren't looking to be heroes. Oh, no. No, no. Uh, they were striving to be faithful mm. uh, to the Word of God. Mm. And I think we are just encouraged by their faithfulness. Mm. Uh, because these are difficult times, and yes. every generation, I guess, would probably say the same, right? Mm-hmm. These are difficult times for the church, but at the same time, very encouraged by uh, what I see happening in the church mm. uh, around the world. Amen. And so being able to pick up these stories, as you do, yeah. and uh, we try and help Christians of today mm. uh, really dig into their past, mm. because this is a family story. Yes, amen. That goes back millennia. That's right. That's right. I, had the, I've, I won't name names, but I had the extraordinary privilege of meeting a descendant of one of the great heroes of London's church history. Mm. Extraordinary thing was, it fell to me to tell her the gospel. And it just reminded me that it doesn't go through our blood. It went through someone else's. And it's our family history in that sense. I, I love to, we were talking earlier about uh, how uh, the Tyndale statue on the River Thames there was unveiled by Shaftesbury. And Shaftesbury and Tyndale would have had little in common, this nobleman and this scholar, but also on the back of Bunyan's tomb. It's jolly, it says it was restored under Bunyan, of course, uh, under Shaftesbury. And you think, these men had nothing in common, this sweaty worker and this nobleman. But the one thing they have in common is this gospel. How was it that you came to rejoice in the gospel yourself? Well, uh, I was a teenager and grew up in the church in Virginia, uh, where I was born and raised, and certainly would have heard the gospel. Uh, but uh, my father uh, was a NASA engineer and uh, relocated from Virginia down to Florida to be close to the Space Center down there. And my grandmother, uh, back in Virginia, she said, okay, whenever you move to a new place, and she was the wife of an army soldier, uh, so she had moved around quite a bit. She said, whenever you move to a new place, always find your friends at church. Mm. And so I was 16 years old, and mm. I said, yes, ma'am, and you know, just uh, nodded dutifully. 
but uh, would have thought of myself as a Christian, but I certainly wasn't living anything uh, like the Christian life. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a love for the Lord, mm-hmm. uh, more nominal, of course. But it was uh, really the Lord dislocating me, which is a, it was a very difficult time in my life uh, in high school. Um, you know, think about just being disrupted from what you're used to growing up with friends and then going to a new place. And the Lord used that powerfully in my life to help me to see that I wasn't living for Him. He brought me into contact with uh, some Christians at high school, and uh, they had a relationship with the Lord that I did not. Um, They were kind to me. Uh, They read their Bibles. They prayed. They invited me in. um, And there at a youth group, at church, and so sure enough, I I made my friends at church. Mm. And um, though I have a wonderful family, I think it was really in that moment that I recognized that I was part of a much larger family, Mm. the family of God, Mm. and being brought into the body of Christ. And it was there that I saw my need for a Savior, Mm. um, repenting for my sins, and trusted Christ Mm. in those years. And really from almost that immediate sense of just wanted to serve the church, because I felt like... I'm home. <laughs> I belong. I'm in my family hmm. now. Hmm. And, and thankfully, my my family, according to the flesh, of course, um, you know, they are Christians and, and loving the Lord as well. But there's just something, isn't it, Ben, about hmm. being brought into recognizing that you're part of a church that's universal hmm. from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Hmm. And it doesn't matter what city you go to you immediately have something in common yeah. with brothers and sisters. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And you have you are now, I guess, president of Ligonier International Ministries. Extraordinary <laughs> service to the church. It's uh, been a privilege of a lifetime to serve at Ligonier, of being able to serve Dr. Sproul and mm-hmm. this ministry that he began in 1971. We just crossed 50 years Good of ministry. Gracious. And so the ministry began before I was born uh, there in western Pennsylvania. That's where it gets its somewhat strange name. Some people are like, what's a Ligonier? And I tell them, well, it's a place in western Pennsylvania. It was a place, it was a study center similar to uh, Schaefer's Labrie, mm. uh, where lay people, Christians would come. Uh, to study the Word of God, to get a better grounding in their faith, to to find answers for the questions that they were facing. Mm. And so that ministry just grew. It was a place where a student could connect with a teacher of God's Word, and that's Mm. what R.C. was. Mm. Um, And he was faithful. And Mm. I came to the ministry in 2004, and being able to see R.C. finish his race and run his race well to the end, like I said, is privilege of a lifetime. And it's continued to be so ever since 2017 when he went to be with the Lord. It's hard to believe it's time's gone by so fast. Um, and so even just thinking about succession planning, uh, he was the one uh, to really get the ministry thinking about the future of the organization. He didn't want it to become a a museum ministry Mm. that was looking back, a legacy ministry. He wanted it to be a ministry that was um, committed to a a movement to be able to see Christians embrace Reformed theology. Of course, he taught that through the lens of the holiness of God. Mm. And so it was his unchanging focus that I believe gave the ministry strength and confidence to not have an identity crisis Mm. After he died, right uh, to know that uh, the ministry 
could go on and continue to spread mm. the teaching of the Word of God, mm-hmm. uh, which allows us to freely proclaim the gospel and to be able to help people to understand the character of God. Mm. R.C. had a way of helping people to know who God is, right. whether they were inside the church or outside the yeah. church, because the need is the same. Yes, yes, yes. To know who God is, because yeah. then we know who we are. Yes, Calvin. And then your need for a Savior. Yeah, amen. And it's exactly how Calvin begins the yeah. Institutes. Yeah, that's right. Most important thing, to know yourself and to know the God who made you. And you can't know yourself till you know him. The more you know him, the more you actually know yourself. It's a glorious truth. And to think of the impact. I mean, the number of people internationally, as you will know, you must bump into them all the time, people saying the difference that Dr. Sproul's ministry made in my life. Think of Charles Colson, whose life was changed by watching videos of the holiness of God. And the vision that that gave us, I, I, when he died, I thought there were those four books I would propose that significant books in the last 50 years, Holiness of God, Knowing God, Desiring God, Reason for God, mm-hmm. Keller, Sproul, Packer, and uh, Piper. And, but that Holiness of God, it, as you say, it, it didn't just tell you how to fix yourself. It brought you to a higher vision. That chapter on Luther is awesome. And then you're talking about looking at the, the future. What a precious way it was for you to commemorate that 500th anniversary of the, of the Reformation by putting out that incredible video. And there was the conference called The Next 500 Years. It just said it all. We're not just looking back. Yeah, we're not just looking back. We look back to gain strength for today mm-hmm. and recognizing that we're situated in God's providence in a certain time and place and wherever we are in the world, mm. the responsibility is the same to pass on the faith to the next generation. Now, we look back because we need encouragement. Yeah, yeah. And uh, whether it was Luther or Calvin or Knox or other reformers, these were ordinary men. Mm raised up to do an extraordinary work. Yes. And the Spirit used their ministry. Mm. And we look back recognizing that if the Lord worked through them in very dark times and brought light mm. out of darkness, mm. post-Tenebras looks, mm. he said, Lord, if you did it, then you can do it again Amen. today. Yeah, yeah. And so we pray for an awakening. Yeah. And we're, we're walking around these streets and you see people that are completely lost. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Mm. And we know that the word of God preached is the means of grace to be able to illumine. Mm. And the Lord is able to, to use the preaching of the word of God. And so we put our confidence in the message, not in the man. Yeah. But we have to pray for the spirit to bless mm. the message as it's preached. Mm. And the results are the Lord's. Mm. Um, yes. And so you, you see that in Paul's writing, right? It's, yeah. it's neither he who plants or the one who waters, but it's God who causes the increase. Mm. And so you look at the past and you pray, Lord, you've worked mightily. Please, Lord, work again today. Amen. Amen. And then teaching our children and our grandchildren to put their confidence in the God of history. I was fascinated. The, 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 The route which Dr. Sproul went he ended up in pastoral ministry, un- unlike starting in pastoral ministry. But he, it's as though he couldn't get away from it. <laughs> it's true. Um, of course, he was ordained in the church in the late 60s, uh, but uh, really was just drawn to teaching lay people, yeah. um, you know, teaching a Sunday school class. Mm. And, uh, and then 
also teaching. Of course, he taught at seminary, but he was just energized by teaching college students as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he said something one time, you know, just a few years ago, that uh, you know, when we got ready to start Reformation Bible College, he said, you know, I, I don't want to start a seminary because, you know, working with seminarians, they think they know everything already. I want young minds who don't think they know everything already. Wow. Um, he said, I want college students because uh, that's where you can help to equip them, train them, and flood the culture with knowledgeable and articulate Christians. And so he had a zeal to kind of take the message to the people. And so that was really the Lord giving him that field of ministry through Ligonier mm. uh, to lay people. I think that then translated in later years, you're right, to a love for preaching to a particular flock week in Mm. and week out. Mm. And so St. Andrew's Chapel uh, was begun, I believe, in 1997 and really has flourished there in Central Florida and uh, continues to to grow. Um, And uh, Dr. Burke Parsons, who served alongside of Dr. Sproul uh, for many years, uh, continues as senior pastor. Mm -hmm. And so it's been wonderful to see that congregation continue to, to grow and be faithful. Oh, and, uh, but Dr. Sproul's love for that church gave us uh, his expository commentaries, mm-hmm. uh, which now we're translating into many different languages, oh, sending wow. them uh, Africa, Asia, many other places as mm-hmm. well. So mm-hmm. even his work there in the pulpit um, you know, ended up you know, in our hands at Ligonier, mm. and we're trying to steward that teaching now mm. for the benefit of the church throughout the world. Now, the, the, the insight you're giving us to, into his mind there, fascinating to see the strategic decision. He doesn't want just to do a seminary where he can play the seminary game, if I can, if I can use a shorthand term there. But he wanted to actually to mold people. He doesn't want just to prove other people right and wrong and so on. He wants actually to, uh, to build people, to establish people. Now, you probably knew him better than many. Can you give us a little bit of a window behind the scenes of what it was like to know him and to, to when you, remember when you met him and so on? I do. Uh, I, I remember exactly where it was when I first met him. I was a student and uh, also working at a small seminary in South Carolina. And I had brought the seminary uh, materials to exhibit at a Ligonier conference. And it was in Charlotte, North Carolina. I remember right where and when it was. And I guess this would have been late 90s, early 2000s. And he's coming out from a break. And he comes over, sees the seminary, and because he knew the president at the time. And he says, you know, you you tell uh, the president, you tell him that he needs to read Ian Murray's book, evangelicalism divided. Uh, and he said, if he doesn't, he's a doomed man. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and uh, I said, yes, sir. And, uh, and so I dutifully conveyed that message. Um, and of course, it's a wonderful book. It is a great um, book. And, um, but it was just that immediate sense of R.C. was always ready for action. Oh, wow. Always ready for action. Um, I'll tell you another little anecdote. Um, this came after years of serving him and the ministry. We might have finished up a, a nice conference, a big conference, and you know, you know, months and months of work, and you know, staff has been laboring for this, and um, you know, we had you know maybe a few thousand people come to a conference, and I'd give him some reports because he was always interested in you know. How are things going? He wanted to ensure we were doing things efficiently and effectively. And I give him a, a brief report. Maybe five minutes in, 
He's getting bored. He's looking at his watch and he says, okay, what's next? Oh, wow. And I love that. Uh He really wasn't interested so much in putting some trophy up on a wall. He wanted to know what's next. Mm. How are we moving forward? Mm. What are we doing next? Mm. And that, that energy, that impulse is still in the DNA of Mm. Ligonier Ministries Mm -hmm. and our team there. Oh, Um, sweet. And so we have just moved on by God's grace and with his blessing to continue serving the church around the world. Mm. We're working in about 40 different languages now. Mm. And um, we're really trying to concentrate on the world's top 20 languages because that serves about 80% of the world's population. And again, the the seed is just cast out. Mm -hmm. But what the Lord is doing with that seed, um, Ben, it's just, it's overwhelming Mm. to us. Mm. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean that Ligonier is great and, and it's not to lift up our seats ministry. It's to talk about the, the sovereignty of God. Mm. We can grow very discouraged. Um, you know, you know, here in the UK, um, you, know, you, know, you can you know, note the, the decline of the church, and we've talked about that before. Mm. You know, we've seen that in the States, too, with churches um, distracted by so many different sociocultural dynamics and things like that, mm. but uh, really losing their confidence in the authority and sufficiency yeah. of the Word of God. Yes. And we can be discouraged by some of the decline. And certainly coming out of the coronavirus period, many churches didn't make it out of that mm. alive. Wow. Um, other churches are doing okay. But we can't look around and think that the church is healthy in the UK or in the US in many respects. But what we see... And and we get to get just a little bit of a glimpse at that work of God around the world through Ligonier is growth of the church throughout Latin America, mm. the growth of the church in Asia, mm. in India, what's happening in the continent of Africa, how I wish I had several lifetimes just to give to the work of God in Africa and all the different languages that are spoken there. But you look at English, Arabic, French, Spanish, Portuguese, these are the major working trade languages and it's very easy to get material into the church and the church is growing sometimes in healthy ways also in sometimes unhealthy ways but it is growing (laughs) and so i think that the great need is to try and serve the church the local church wherever it is growing Mm. and bringing some of these reformation truths that you know were unearthed here in England mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and in Scotland, mm. um, Wales, of course, <laughs> and came to the shores of America. And, mm. and now, don't you feel like we're, we're sort of stewarding something <sighs> for the benefit of the global church? Yeah, superb. I love it. Yes, the, the, the irony is the heroes about whom we're talking, as you say, they themselves didn't feel themselves to be heroes. And isn't that encouraging for we who don't feel ourselves to be heroes? Because you look at them, they they held and they hoped, they rejoiced. And, you know, we were talking earlier about Wycliffe. He must have felt, ah, it didn't work. It didn't work. Oh, well. Hmm. And then Jan Hus. And then the Reformation. <laughs> and Wesley is converted at a meeting where... He's reading, Hus. yeah, and hearing, you know, from Luther. This is it. Right. And it was convened by people who followed the teachings of Hus at that actual yeah. meeting where he's at. And you think, so Wycliffe. You don't know. You don't know. But the, the fact that you and I are both sitting here, you could probably trace it back to Wycliffe. And he's thinking, it's not, oh, I didn't really work. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you think, you know, the way that, that Tyndale died. Mm. Uh, he, he didn't know the rest of the story. Oh. 
what the Lord was going to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, were you saying it was about nine months or so after his death, the next year? Yeah, yeah. The following year, it said, the king says, an English Bible in every church. <laughs> Remarkable. Yeah. Do you have favorites from church history or so for people who you say, I go back to this guy, he's my friend? Or is there someone at the moment? Uh, there is someone at the moment uh, because I'm, I'm just doing some studies right now in second century uh, Christianity. So I'm enamored by uh, Irenaeus and his uh-huh. apologetical work and some of uh, the way that he responded to the Gnostics, which I'm recognizing a lot of yeah. contemporary spirituality and even just street level secularism has a lot of Gnosticism blended in. Seriously. Um, and all these unquestioned assumptions that people seem to have a modern person has today, uh, boy, it, it shows up everywhere mm. in the second century. And there's Irenaeus and, and among many others, of course, just holding forth with a, a very strong and, and consistent testimony of the apostles' teaching. And it's just, it's just amazing. Mm. And um, again, there's a hero who mm. wouldn't have thought himself Amen. a hero. He was responding to error. And the Lord uses heresy to refine his church mm and clarify the church, uh, the church's teaching. And he's done that since the time of Paul, of course. Right, yeah, yeah. And, uh, so I pick up from there, and I have to stop off, of course, in the Reformation. And we love Luther for his boldness mm. and his courage. Oh, yeah. But Calvin, again, a sinner, saved by grace, but a faithful pastor. And mm. that really, I think, defines my own sense of calling. I've not, since that... I need to be in the pulpit preaching mm-hmm. week in, week out. Um, I'm not ordained, but I love to serve ministers of the gospel because the church is God's plan A. Amen. Um, it is not a ministry like Ligonier. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the local church, an ordained man preaching to a local congregation. You never know who's going to hear the word preached mm-hmm. and the flame that is going to be ignited in someone's heart when mm. they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so my own personal mission is to serve the church by lifting up faithful pastors, mm. faith, faithful theologians, mm. whether they're dead or alive. Yeah, It's a joy to be able to do that. You put up a, a tweet, I doubt you remember it, about three years ago. It really right, struck a chord with me. You said, I'm so grateful to be home. You've been traveling back with elders and pastors who I know care for me. I thought, well, that is precious because it's simple it's, and, it's, and it's, it's the gift that God gives us People, shepherds after God's own heart who want the best for you who've been praying for you I thought what a precious perspective these are difficult days for the local church pastor mm. I love my pastors mm. I love my elders mm. and your pastor needs encouragement mm. your, your pastor they really don't need your criticism <laughs> um, if they're a faithful man they're plenty critical of themselves. Oh, that is wisdom. And um, That is wisdom. So pray for them and encourage your local pastors. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. I noticed that the other day yeah. in Edwards. He was saying, you know, you who are concerned about your pastor, have you considered that if you've been praying for him, you might be less concerned for him? <laughs> that was a precious perspective. It's a good word. Yeah. That's wise. I like that very much. Have you ever heard the pianist Vladimir Horowitz? Does that oh, of course. Hey. Yes, I, I play the piano. And, oh, really? Um, certainly nothing like uh, he does or did, uh, but wow. Because uh, when, when I hear him play the piano, I think, 
oh, that's how you play the piano. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but when I read Calvin, I think of horror. I think of Horowitz because he takes open the text and you think, oh, that's what it means. And I, I find that helpful in his commentaries, but in the Institute as well. Let me turn it around on you, Ben. Yes, how about any favorites from church history for you? <laughs> I mean, you get to talk about everybody, yeah, but yeah. your favorites? I adore Wilberforce. I love Wilberforce. Not least because he is, people presume he must have been super organized and effective. But the biographers, they always seem to be confused. They think, how, did he, how was he so effective? Because all the evidence shows us the guy was hilarious, fun. He was spontaneous. He was always late. He was, he was, children could play with him, but they couldn't play with their own dad, but they could play Mr. Wilberforce. He was a great singer. He was considered the funniest man in London. And it's like the biographers say, uh, he was late again. And he, he, how did he do it? Oh, that's interesting. Jesus says, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. And they've just brought out his journals. And in the journals, we see a man abiding in Christ, rejoicing. He was reading Owen. He was reading Edwards. And he was saying, I must, essentially he was saying in the terms of his day, I must find my identity from my communion in God. Straight out of Owen. Those roots, those roots were being fed. And guess what happened? Changed the world. I adore him for that. I adore him. And I, uh, I, I love John Newton as well. And, and uh, I, he, he can, he's very good for Twitter because he can put such extraordinary concepts in such brief words. And you have that link with Wilberforce, of course. Exactly. Yeah. And so many of them are linked together. I love Tyndale. I love Tyndale because he was, he must have felt so alone. And, uh, and yet the people around him saw something special. They, they looked up to him so much. Uh, but, uh, and, and similar to, you put it very well. He never knew the effects he would have. Yeah. I love, I love so many of them and, and, and derive so much from them. I tell you who I'm enjoying at the moment. Dustin Benge said, read a page of Owen a day. He got that from Ian Murray. I tried it and you, this is what happens. You read a page and you go, Oh, I'll just try another one. I just try another one. I now read a chapter of Owen a day. I'm really enjoying Owen, and it helped, the one page was brilliant advice, because yeah. you can get through a page, and before you know it, I'm getting to know him, and I'm finding him, he's not the dotting I, crossing T's guy, he, he can do that, but only for the purpose of helping you to see Christ. And that's the great thing about church history, I mean, that's how I discovered theology, and, and R.C. helped me to do that, I mean, you, you take a chapter like The Insanity of Luther, I, I didn't grow up with these stories, um, and it took R.C. teaching about the holiness of God, and he's got that chapter on Luther, and uh, you know, you, then you find Bainton, and uh, uh, and then you start to understand more of the the, the story of, of what the Lord did in the Reformation, and you start linking these things together, and you're you're recognizing that these are theological ideas that are being embodied in these saints that have gone before us, mm-hmm. and so. Particularly for today, when uh, younger generations are drawn to story, yes, I think the the work of biography yes. and keeping alive the work of church history is vital. Yes, for yes. us, you almost need a different name. Church history doesn't do it justice, does no. it? If you put no. those two words together, what could be less inspiring? Right. But when you tell someone, that's why. That's why I go back to that idea of this is this is our family history. Amen. That's better. Yeah. Next thing I'd like to ask you, what's new? What's, what's on the horizon for you presently? What are you looking for or what's floating you at the moment? Yeah, I mentioned earlier the translation work um, and trying to work with 
different distribution partners. Ligonier doesn't do what it does on its own. We work with different churches, missionaries, other publishing partners throughout the world, and being able to link arms with them to be able to, to take these resources over the past five decades, plus all the new things that we're producing, and just offer them out to the world, share them. And whether that's getting books or Bibles printed or getting you know, all the digital media mm. uh, out there, many different websites. We're making a lot of use of YouTube, of mm. course. And so I, I think that's uh, really the biggest effort for us. The Lord has been very kind to allow us to have support, to be able to really take some significant steps forward as a ministry mm. and to make some longer-term commitments mm. uh, because we do not want to just do a project. We want to be there for the long term to mm. be able to serve the church around the world. Um, and I think that there's too many examples of organizations that, you know, they want to do a project so they can tell a good story back home. Um, uh-huh. We we intend to serve for the long term, mm. whether that's in Africa or Asia, South America, mm. or even as the Lord would allow it in the U.S. or in the U.K. as well. Practical question. You may you, you may say, no, there's nothing here. But you are clearly are strategic. You are ha- able to think big picture and strategically, which informs, is that, is, do you see that in yourself? Have you grown in that? Is there someone who taught you in that? Uh, well, I learned a lot from R.C., oh, really? actually. Uh, mm-hmm. he, was, he, he was a really big picture thinker. Sometimes I'd try and, you know, when we were talking about succession planning, I'd try and nail them down and say, okay, RC, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, what do you want to see us doing? I'm, I'm looking for specificity. And, uh, he'd usually just say, well, keep doing what we're doing, you know, but you know, just bigger and better. And I was like, okay, well, that's kind of helpful, but not really. <laughs> so I, I just smile at that, but he was crystal clear about faithfulness. Mm. And so when you Look at all the opportunities, and and sure, you could be going a thousand different directions um, in any organization. But if your focus is on being faithful today with the truth that's been given to you and seeking now to propagate that to as many people as possible, you're also responding to God's providence. Mm. I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, several years ago, we were we had a lot of momentum going for outreach in China and uh, good work on the ground and some connections that were being made. And as many of your viewers and listeners would know, you know, those doors closed to really most of, you know, the Western missionary organizations. There's, there's not uh, many organizations uh, that are working officially in China. In fact, I'm not aware of any at this point. Hmm. So uh, firm has been that country's clampdown on the church. Now, the church in China is going to be fine. The Lord's going to build his church, you know, maybe 100 million Christians in China. Mm. And so it's more of a when, not if, uh, that we'll be able to work again in China because the Lord's going to, to tear down um, unbelieving regimes and he's going to take care of his church. We know that. But you know, we had to pivot in God's providence to focus on you know, more work in South America and more work in Africa. And that's part of being strategic. You have a long-term vision for faithfulness. And trying to to get a message out and teaching to as many people as possible, but you have to respond to shifting operational realities. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> we were working on a Russian website uh, this year uh, to get our resources into Russian, and you know, with the current situation in Ukraine and uh, difficulty working with you know some of our translators, we'll see. 
if that happens yeah. or not. But yeah. you know, that's just kind of a current example of man plans his ways, the Lord directs his steps, and you know, that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. And so you hold your plans loosely, and you offer them to the Lord. And I think that that has to be the heartbeat for every Christian leader, mm-hmm. is to just say, Lord, you know, we, we do want to move forward um, aggressively, if you will allow. If he doesn't allow, that's okay, too. Mm-hmm. And so a leader can never grasp at leadership. And if you grasp at leadership, you shouldn't be leading. Wow. Like if, if you think that you exist to exist as an organization, like if, if that's your goal is to just exist, you shouldn't exist. Wow. You, you have to have a, a larger purpose, a larger mm-hmm. understanding of how you fit in service to the church. Now, I'm, I realize I'm talking about um, a parachurch ministry, but I don't even like that term. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're a sub-church ministry. Uh, We come alongside the local church to support, strengthen, in some cases to remind, you know, with the the history of the church, much like you do Mm. here in London. And so you you hold your plans loosely, but it still doesn't mean you can't think long term. And if the Lord should bless, Mm. and you really say, Deo Valente, Lord willing. Which brings me to my last question, which probably may be the same answer, which is, what is your advice? For anyone listening to this, as broad as you like. Uh, come do a church history tour with Christian heritage. Um, <laughs> Is the correct answer. <laughs> yeah. I, love your local church. Amen. Be there. Mm-hmm. Serve. And then <laughs> you know, read, read the stories that God has given to us by his grace. Men and women who have been faithful mm. down through the ages. Mm. You're going to find this is your family. Mm. Oh, that's wonderful. You're going to gain strength for today yeah. because they put their trust in the Lord and it tells us that we can trust the Lord today. Mm. And there's there's no better advice Amen. than to call upon the Lord. Oh, that's wonderful. What a wonderful way to end. Thank you so much, Chris. That's fantastic. It's an honor to be with you, Ben. Oh, bless you. For more episodes of the Christian Heritage London podcast and for information on Christian Heritage London events, tours and walks, please go to christianheritagelondon.org.